Hello, you're listening to Sarah McCoy, and this is Session 5 of The Beauty of Holy Choices, a new weekly podcast series. I've been a Bible teacher at Owasso First Assembly in Owasso, Oklahoma for over 40 years, and I love the way God's Word shows itself practical to today, time after time. In 2015, I wrote a book titled The Beauty of Holy Choices, which examines people from the Bible who pleased God by making a hard choice in a difficult circumstance. Each of the 12 chapters is a standalone story, and they're all woven together by their emphasis on holiness, arranged in the order in which they appear in Scripture. Each unit ends with clear application to today's Christian walk and a challenge to the reader. This fifth installment is entitled, Moses Responds with Meekness. All scripture is taken from the KJV or the NIV. The date is about 1461 BC. God called Abraham over 500 years ago. Now, 81-year-old Moses is in the wilderness with the children of Israel on the way back to the promised land in Canaan after centuries in Egypt. God delivered the people from their slavery there about a year and a half ago. Then he provided daily manna from heaven for food, and water gushed from a rock for the thirsty throngs. It was just last year that God's law was given to Moses on Mount Sinai, and only about six months ago that the tent tabernacle containing the Ark of the Covenant was finished, according to the plans given in the law. A priesthood has been established through the lineage of Moses' brother Aaron, too. So now we turn to Numbers chapter 16, verses 1 through 50. Korah, son of Ishar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and certain Reubenites, Dathan and Abiram, sons of Eliab and On, son of Peleth, became insolent and rose up against Moses. With them were 250 Israelite men, well-known community leaders who had been appointed members of the council, They came as a group to oppose Moses and Aaron and said to them, You've gone too far. The whole community is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is with them. Why then do you set yourselves above the Lord's assembly? When Moses heard this, he fell face down. Then he said to Korah and all his followers, In the morning the Lord will show who belongs to him and who is holy, and he will have that person come near him. The man he chooses, he will cause to come near him. You, Korah, and all your followers are to do this. Take censers, and tomorrow put burning coals and incense in them before the Lord. The man the Lord chooses will be the one who is holy. You Levites have gone too far. Moses also said to Korah, Now listen, you Levites, isn't it enough for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the rest of the Israelite community and brought you near himself to do the work at the Lord's tabernacle and to stand before the community and minister to them? He's brought you and all your fellow Levites near himself, but now you're trying to get the priesthood too. It is against the Lord that you and all your followers have banded together. Who is Aaron that you should grumble against him? Then Moses summoned Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, but they said, We will not come. Isn't it enough that you've brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness? And now you also want to lord it over us. Moreover, you haven't brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey or given us an inheritance of fields and vineyards. 
Do you want to treat these men like slaves? No, we won't come. Then Moses became very angry and said to the Lord, Do not accept their offering. I have not taken so much as a donkey from them, nor have I wronged any of them. Moses said to Korah, You and all your followers are to appear before the Lord tomorrow, you and they and Aaron. Each man is to take his censer and put incense in it, 250 censers in all, and present it before the Lord. You and Aaron are to present your censers too. So each of them took his censer, put burning coals and incense in it, and stood with Moses and Aaron at the entrance to the tent of meeting. When Korah had gathered all his followers in opposition to them at the entrance to the tent of meeting, the glory of the Lord appeared to the entire assembly. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Separate yourselves from this assembly so I can put an end to them at once. But Moses and Aaron fell face down and cried out, O oh God! The God who gives breath to all living things, will you be angry with the entire assembly when only one man sins? Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to the assembly, Move away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Moses got up and went to Dathan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. He warned the assembly, Move back from the tents of these wicked men. Don't touch anything belonging to them, or you will be swept away because of all their sins. So they moved away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Dathan and Abiram had come out and were standing with their wives, children, and little ones at the entrances to their tents. Then Moses said, This is how you will know that the Lord has sent me to do all these things and that it was not my idea. If these men die a natural death and suffer the fate of all mankind, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord brings about something totally new, and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them with everything that belongs to them, and they go down alive into the realm of the dead, then you'll know that these men have treated the Lord with contempt. As soon as he finished saying all this, the ground under them split apart, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them and their households and all those associated with Korah together with their possessions. They went down alive into the realm of the dead with everything they owned. The earth closed over them, and they perished and were gone from the community. At their cries, all the Israelites around them fled, shouting, The earth is going to swallow us too. And fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering the incense. The Lord said to Moses, Tell Eleazar son of Aaron the priest to remove the censers from the charred remains and scatter the coals some distance away, for the censers are holy. The censers of the men who sinned at the cost of their lives hammered the censers into sheets to overlay the altar, for they were presented before the Lord and have become holy. Let them be a sign to the Israelites. So Eleazar the priest collected the bronze censers brought by those who had been burned to death, and he had them hammered out to overlay the altar, as the Lord directed him through Moses. This was to remind the Israelites that no one except a descendant of Aaron should come to burn incense before the Lord, or he would become like Korah and his followers. The next day, the whole Israelite community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. You've killed the Lord's people, they said. 
But when the assembly gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron and turned toward the tent of meeting, suddenly the cloud covered it and the glory of the Lord appeared. Then Moses and Aaron went to the front of the tent of meeting, and the Lord said to Moses, Get away from this assembly so I can put an end to them at once. And they fell face down. Then Moses said to Aaron, Take your censer and put incense in it, along with burning coals from the altar, and hurry to the assembly to make atonement for them. Wrath has come out from the Lord. The plague has started. So Aaron did as Moses said and ran into the midst of the assembly. The plague had already started among the people, but Aaron offered the incense and made atonement for them. He stood between the living and the dead, and the plague stopped. But 14,700 people died from the plague, in addition to those who had died because of Korah. Then Aaron returned to Moses at the entrance to the tent of meeting, for the plague had stopped. Recorded in this same book of Numbers, just a few chapters before the story, is an amazing claim about Moses. Numbers 12.3 says, Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. It seems strange that the humblest man alive should be chided by his followers for being arrogant. False accusations can be enraging, and the things that Korah and his men said against Moses did seem to upset him greatly, as they should have. But Moses' amazingly humble response had five beautiful facets to it that were well-pleasing to the Lord. The first one, Moses bowed down to the ground. Moses was caught off guard by Korah's attack, to say the least. He didn't have a lot of time to formulate a response or to compose himself. He appears to have reacted on pure instinct, which was to assume the humblest posture of all to bow down. What an awesome indication of the character of Moses and the integrity of his heart. Then. As the story progressed and God threatened twice to wipe out the people, Moses bowed himself to the ground again on both of those occasions. A lesser man might have stood there arms folded with a defiant look of victory on his face as he watched God wreak destruction on the crowd. But Moses didn't dare to elevate himself before anyone, even after being made the leader of a nation by God himself. Even though not every situation today calls for bowing down to the ground, humble, open posture is still an appropriate way to diffuse another person's accusations in a family, in a workplace, or in a neighborhood. Facial expressions can be hard and angry, or they can be soft and kind. Arms can be crossed, or hands can be on hips. Conveying indignation and anger, or fists can be unclenched and arms outstretched. Head can be back with nose in the air, or eyes can be downcast. Body language speaks volumes, and if you really mean to convey meekness, you can intuitively do so by how you position yourself. James 4.10 says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. 1 Peter 5.5-6 and 6 says, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. Number two, Moses refused to take the insult personally. Insults 
make most people pretty defensive. A typical reaction is to think along the lines of, how dare you? Moses was mortified that Korah and his men dared to accuse him of lording it over them, but he knew that their sin was a reflection on them rather than on anything he or Aaron had done. Note his response, number 1611, for which cause both thou and all thy company are gathered together against the Lord. And what is Aaron that you murmur against him? Learning not to take an insult personally is one of the best ways to avoid losing your temper. Imagine confronting a hostile driver in heavy traffic. Maybe some guy pulls out in front of you, cutting you off. And to add to the rudeness of it all, he turns around, makes eye contact with you, and then flashes an obscene gesture. Wouldn't you feel incensed and as though you'd really been done wrong? But before reacting in a foolish way, think for a second. That driver doesn't know you, and he likely would have done the same thing to someone else who happened to be in the position in which you found yourself on that road. It's not about you, it's about him. Take a deep breath and let his actions reflect on his character, not yours. That's how Moses preserved his sanity. Jesus said in Matthew 5:11, "Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake." Jesus is teaching here that other people's abuse against you for the sake of his kingdom is not about you. You're not to blame Rather, you're to be rewarded. He says that persecution is nothing new because even the Old Testament prophets endured it. See it for what it is and move on, praising the Lord all the while. Number three, Moses took his frustrations to God. Moses could have fussed and fumed at the people, or he could have railed on the perpetrators. He could have gone home to his wife and ranted about them in private. Or he could have gossiped about them to his brother Aaron and sister Miriam. Instead, he prayed. Number 1615, And Moses was very angry and said unto the Lord, Respect not thou their offering. I have not taken one ass from them, neither have I hurt one of them. Moses was indignant, and he had good reason to be. But he spoke about it to the Lord and asked him to take care of it. King David did the same thing, even turning his prayer into a song in Psalm 35, 1 through 4. He said, Plead my cause, O Lord, with them that strive with me. Fight against them that fight against me. Take hold of shield and buckler and stand up for mine help. Draw out also the spear and stop the way against them that persecute me. Say unto my soul, I am thy salvation. Let them be confounded and put to shame that seek after my soul. Let them be turned back and brought to confusion that devise my hurt. Where do you turn when you're attacked? Do you long to hash it over with anyone who will listen? Do you get on the phone or begin an email campaign or dissect it over lunch with a good friend? That's not where God wants you to take your concerns. Take them to Him. He's just and He will hear. So Moses bowed down. That was number one. Moses refused to take the insult personally. That was number two. Moses took his frustrations to God. That was number three. And now number four, Moses interceded for the people. And they fell upon their faces and said, O God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin? And wilt thou be wroth with all the congregation? Number 16, verse 22. 
Moses prayed for the sheep-like people who were nodding their heads and amening the troublemakers. You'd think he'd be hoping for their destruction, but he prayed for them. What a merciful and godly man he was. No wonder the Torah prophesied that the Messiah would be like unto Moses. What a holy and acceptable choice he made in this situation. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 44 through 48, the Sermon on the Mount. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love them which love you, what reward have you? Don't even the publicans the same? And if you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Don't even the publicans so? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect." Jesus' Sermon on the Mount goes along exactly with Moses' choices in his trials with the Israelites. He seems to have been a man ahead of his time. Got something against someone at the moment? Have you prayed for him or her? Have you tried to see that person through the eyes of a God who created and loved him and wants the best for him? Interceding for others might change you as much as it changes them. So number one, Moses bowed down. Number two, Moses refused to take the insult personally. Number three, Moses took his frustrations to God. Number four, Moses interceded for the people. And number five, Moses made atonement for their sins. Remember, number 1646 said, Moses said to Aaron, take your censer and put incense in it along with burning coals from the altar, and hurry to the assembly to make atonement for them. Wrath has come out from the Lord. The plague has started. Foreshadowing the atonement of Christ, Moses urged his brother Aaron to act in the office of priest to offer fire from the altar to God that the people's sin and following Korah might be forgiven. He didn't want to see the plague wipe them out, even though that fate would have been perfectly just. Moses felt compassion so he showed mercy. I wonder how it felt when the people realized that the only reason some of them were still alive was that the very man they had gone against had gone to God on their behalf. You don't have to offer atonement to God for anyone today, but you can act in a similar fashion by making peace between people or urging them to make peace with God whenever you have the chance. Matthew 5, 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Moses faced a very difficult test, and he earned an A+. You can be sure that your pride will be tested too. You'll be misunderstood, or accused, or treated unfairly, or railed on without cause. Will you react with holy humility? As an aside, and as a sharp contrast to Moses' sterling behavior, note that Korah made the New Testament's hall of infamy in the book of Jude for his arrogance. Jude chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 and 11 say, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. 
for certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only Sovereign and Lord. Verse 11, Woe to them! They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. And now get this, they have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. Just as Korah denied the divinely appointed leadership of Moses, godless men today deny the lordship of Jesus Christ. To say, I haven't done anything wrong and I don't need a savior, is to be an arrogant rebellion. And rejecting Christ is the most unholy act of all. Bottom line, the story of Korah and Moses enjoins us to put on beautiful holiness by humbling ourselves before God and others. Is your heart bowed before God? If this podcast has been a blessing to you, pass it along. 